So if you lived a hundred years ago, you would have viewed the world in a much different way. And I'm not just saying that you wouldn't have a cell phone or you wouldn't have an Instagram account. Actually, one thing that you would have viewed very differently is smoking. Now, if you lived a hundred years ago, you wouldn't have been aware of or even thought of any of the potential health risks of smoking at all. You would have thought it was fine because you would have seen advertisements like this in all the magazines. Doctors recommending it. Protection against irritation for your throat. You would have even seen other articles talking about which doctors choose which cigarette companies and which ones are better. Now, this one blows my mind the most. Some even promoted how smoking is a great weight loss strategy. Look at that. To keep a slender figure no one can deny. Now, could you imagine if we had an advertisement like that today? Like a cigarette company saying, no, don't worry, it's going to help you lose a couple pounds. Like, just imagine the absolute outrage we would have. Now, that, this is not some sort of like moralistic smoking that you are free to choose to smoke. That's not one of those sermons. But at least today, you understand the health risks. You, you know what comes with it. Now, even just 50 years ago, just a little over 50 years, you would have thought that women could not handle a large amount of strenuous physical activity. You would have thought that because it was actually just assumed that women couldn't handle these things. My mom told me this story once of how she played basketball in middle school. And the girls were not allowed to cross the halfway line because they didn't think they could run that hard during a basketball game. So she'd run up the half line and have to stop and wait for the, her other half of the team. It was believed, this is no joke, that women would actually die if they tried to run a marathon. Like their bodies could not physically handle a marathon. And so it was in 1966 where a woman named Bobby Gibbs snuck into the men's Boston Marathon and ran it. She, she had this, uh, she tried to dress up like a man, but halfway through it became very evident that she was not. And she finished this race very quickly my dad. A very impressive time for anybody. And then one year later, a woman named Catherine Schweitzer in 1967 ran the Boston Marathon and men were trying to pull her out of this race because they didn't think women could do this. Now, there's actually a term we use for some of these common beliefs we have in our culture at different times. We call it conventional wisdom. So these are just beliefs and ideas that are just assumed they go pretty much unquestioned in our culture. But here's the irony of conventional wisdom. So often it proves to be completely untrue. Totally false. So you know there was a time when we thought spicy foods, foods caused ulcers? Does anybody remember that? Now, could you imagine having to give up Mexican food? Just give me the ulcers, all right? I, I want to go to heaven happy, you know? Uh, we thought lead was totally harmless. It was in your paint. It was in so many products in your house. Now we wouldn't even think about that. There was a day when we thought the shake weight was an effective piece of workout equipment. <laughs> there is so much conventional wisdom just pumped into our world. This is how you raise your kids. This is how you get rich. This is how you lose, or lose weight. And this wisdom oftentimes is just pushed at you like this is how you're going to live your best life. This is how you're going to get what you really want. And we just assume these things. Now, this really makes me wonder, what are the future generations in like 50 or 100 years going to say about us? Like the stuff we believe right now, what are they going to think is totally ridiculous? I, I can't wait to find out. Now, if you are just joining us, this whole fall season, we've been working through a letter in the Bible simply called James, named after its writer. And James was the younger, hard-hitting, blunt half-brother of Jesus. He grew up with Jesus. 
And he didn't believe Jesus was God for a large portion of his life. But then he had a dramatic experience where he saw his own brother rise from the dead. And James became a worshiper of Jesus, a believer himself. And he wrote this letter to people in the first century trying to encourage them to walk the talk when it came to their faith. And this letter has been preserved for now 2,000 years. And I think we're going to see how applicable it is today. Because James is going to address this whole situation of conventional wisdom. And he's going to point out about how it's not always the best way to go when it comes to living your best life. So let's see what James has to say to us. James 3, verse 13. Here's what he says. Who is wise in understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life. By deeds done in humility that comes from wisdom. So James now is going to introduce some concepts here. And when you hear that word wisdom, I want to make sure that your mind doesn't go to like some sort of old sage. Like don't just start thinking Yoda right now. Okay. That's not what he's doing. James is very practical. When he talks about someone who is wise, he is simply talking about somebody who knows how to live life well. It's somebody who's just good at life. They're just good at it. They know how to live it the right way. And he's not even just talking about moral good life. Like you just do the right behaviors necessarily. This is a loaded term. This is kind of cool. When James talks about the good life, he's talking about this beautiful, robust, full, exceptional, prevailing life. This is like life to the fullest. This is the ultimate good life. He's trying to give this huge picture. Now, I think probably everybody in here has had this experience before. I think you've done this. You go see a movie with somebody, right? We've done this before. And you're sitting with them. And what do you watch before the real movie starts? What do you see? Trailers, right? Trailers of other movies. Now, every single person here, you transform into a whole nother person at that moment. You know what you become? A professional movie critic. Right there. You just become one right in that moment. Because you're sitting next to that person, and you're watching the previews, and what do you do? You see 90-second clip of a movie, and you look over, you go, yeah, it looks pretty good. Yeah, I think I'd go see that. Yeah, I think I'd pay money for that. And then you watch another trailer, and you lean over, and you say, stupid, dumb movie. Absolutely not. Definitely not seeing that movie. You've only seen 90 seconds. You've already made a judgment of an entire two-hour movie. Now, trailers, though, they're meant to be a glimpse, right? A glimpse into something so much bigger. And what James is pointing to about this good life, he's saying your life is supposed to be a glimpse, a trailer of something massive, the very kingdom of God. The way God set up things to operate, your life is supposed to be this small little picture of heaven itself. You're supposed to bring heaven to earth through your life. He says, that is the truly good life. That is the fullest life. And the way you access it is through what he calls wisdom. He says, that's your ticket if you want to live the good life. Now, every single person here, you want the good life. I want it. You do. And every single person here, you have some different idea of what it looks like too. You're like that, man, I get there. I get to that point in my life. That's going to be good. I'm going to be living it up then. And James now is going to draw a comparison. He's going to talk about the two primary ways you can really try to get the good life. And we're going to see which way you really want to go with this. Look at verse 14. He says, but if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where you have envy 
and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. So James now is introducing the first way we often try to get the good life. And he's going to talk about the wrong way. James is going to say, there is a way of living that is very common. It's even encouraged by our culture and many people buy into it, but it will not get you what you are actually looking for. And he says, you'll know you're going the wrong way because it comes with some very recognizable characteristics. I think probably everybody we've said, you've probably had the movie experience. You've probably had this experience too. You're watching TV and a TV commercial comes on. And it's this beautiful, luxurious car going down some amazing road, you know, out in the mountains or whatever. And then it zooms inside the car. And who's inside the car? A really attractive human being, right? Just enjoying their cruise. And then they pull into their luxurious home. And then a handful of people come out of the home who end up being equally attractive human beings who are related to this individual driving this car. And it's this beautiful moment. And if it's Christmas time, it happens in reverse. The people come from the house to the car with the giant bow on the top of it, right? Because that's what you do for Christmas. You get your, your, your spouse a BMW. Um, I told Nicole that never expect that on Christmas. That is absolutely never happening on Christmas. Okay. Now, those commercials, they know what they're doing. Trying to get you to buy a car. But you got to look under, under the, the surface layer of it. Because there is a subtle message that's getting sold through that 30-second commercial. You don't have enough. And if you want to live the good life, you need to get more. You need to keep upgrading your lifestyle if you really want to be happy and live the dream. Now think about social media though. If you scroll on social media sometimes, you'll come across maybe some influencers, people with a platform, and maybe they're trying to sell some program or coaching thing, which is totally fine. But there can sometimes be a subtle message from some of these influencers. You're not enough. And if you really want to live the good life, you better start hustling. You better start grinding. You better pay $99 for this course so your life isn't worthless. It's again, it's a subtle message. Now that's advertising, that's social media, but we actually all do this naturally on some level in our everyday lives too. Let, let me kind of unpack how this works. Let's say maybe you're a mom in this room. Maybe you got young kids or whatever, your mom. There's a type of person that you probably notice before other people. And that person you notice is probably other young moms. Because you see, oh, okay, they got kids too. Well, how do they dress their kids? What activities do they have their kids in? How do they discipline their kids? And then maybe even start talking to these ladies. You realize maybe there's a mom who is able to stay at home with the kids. You know, they've been able to work that out in the lifestyle. And then maybe she even has some margin to get a mani-pedi on one day, you know. And you're talking about your schedules. And as you're starting to do the calculations in your head, you're like, I'm still working full time. I'm exhausted. We can't even do half these things. And you smile and you're very nice. But inside your head... Don't you go acting more spiritual than me right now. You know what you're doing inside your head. You're like, I kind of hate you a little bit right now, right? Now, now, maybe you're retirement age here. You're in those years. And you probably notice people that are at a similar life stage. Those are maybe even the people you socialize with. And you meet some people and they've been retired for five or 10 years already. They're living comfortably off the nest egg. And they just got back from their second trip to Hawaii, for like a month and you're smiling. You're so excited. And you're like, oh, those pictures are so beautiful. 
but you know on Monday, you're clocking in back at the DMV because you got five or 10 more years left if you have any hope of retiring. You feel that. That rubs you. Maybe the holidays are coming up and you're going to go see in-laws, you're going to see family members and you get along as well as you can, try to have a good family dynamic. But I know some families, you walk in and just that part of the family, those particular individuals, they have just gone a different course in life for various reasons because of the careers they chose or whatever. And their house has a couple more square feet than yours. Actually, maybe thousands of more square feet. And the cars on the driveway look just a little bit nicer. The kids just look a little bit more put together. Everything just looks a little bit easier. And you smile and you're trying to enjoy the holiday, but in the back of your mind, you're like, why does their life seem so much better than mine? And what I'm getting at, and what James is trying to point out, is we all notice the discrepancies in our lives compared to other people. And James says, what starts to happen is you experience envy. And all envy is, is resenting that someone has something you don't. Someone has something you don't and, you, and you're mad about it. You're frustrated by it. It hurts and stings a little bit. James says this envy is bitter. It's like black coffee to your soul. Just nasty. Tastes real bad. And we all get that bitter taste when that subtle message slips into our hearts. You don't have enough. You're not enough. And you're not going to be happy until you fix that. Now, there's a cousin to this bitter envy that sometimes goes with it. And James calls it selfish ambition. Now, if we want to try to define this, I would say this is the pursuit of something at the expense of something more important. Now, let me even unpack that. This is a tough one to really get a handle on because our culture actually celebrates this. We love to lift up the hustlers, right? The people are driving and grinding and taking names and doing things. And don't mishear me. There is nothing wrong with being successful, going hard, doing it totally. But I think all of us knows that fine line you can cross from like a healthy ambition of wanting to do your best and maximize your life. And then crossing over that line of, oh, this is like a drivenness that goes a little deeper. Something is a little twisted with it. The motivations aren't all pure. And usually this goes with another message in our culture because we say, you don't have enough. You're not enough. But God's not enough either. And so now you need to strive. You need to grind. You need to go all in on maximizing this life because that is all there is. So you better get what you can so you can get to that good life. But I got a question for that line of thinking. At what cost? At what cost? Are you sacrificing your family on the altar of your career? Are you burning yourself out to pad your bank account? Now you would say you're just trying to get financial security, but you got that years ago. And yet you're still going so, so hard. You got people that you're called to love and care for and serve, but they don't serve your interests. So they actually get pushed aside a little bit so you can prioritize the people that can get you where you want to go. Brad Pitt did an interview with the Rolling Stone some years back. 
And what he said, I thought, fit really well with this whole idea. Look what Brad Pitt says. The emphasis now is on success and personal gain. I'm sitting in it, and I'm telling you, that's not it. I'm the guy who's got everything. I know. But I'm telling you, once you've got everything, then you're just left with yourself. I've said it before, and I'll say it again. It doesn't help you sleep any better, and you don't wake up any better because of it. That thing that you're striving for, that you are giving your life to, because you really believe the good life is on the other side, Brad Pitt says, it doesn't work the way you think it does. You can get all of it, and you're going to be confused. Since we're talking about actors, why not Jim Carrey too, right? I found a Jim Carrey thing. I thought this was interesting. I've been sitting on this one for a while. Jim Carrey, look what he says. I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so they can see it's not the answer. <laughs> Just a little encouragement for you today from, from Jim Carrey. This is the conventional wisdom of the world. You don't have enough. You're not enough. God is not enough. So you better start going. You better go figure out what's going to get you the good life, and you better go after it with everything you have. You better start running. But I got to ask, what is the point of winning a race God never called you to run? What's the point of that? That is not winning. And so James says, this is not the right way to do it, everybody. This is not wisdom. This is not going to lead to the good life like the way you think it does. He says, you think this is all the good stuff, but this comes from a very different place. He says, this is earthly. God's not in this. You're just focused on this short life, what you can get out of it. You're not considering the eternal aspects of life. He says, it's unspiritual. This is all about gratifying your human desires and appetites. You're not thinking about anything bigger than you, and it's even demonic. He says, at its core, this is a lie from the pit of hell trying to steal from you. And he says, it always comes with predictable results. Never works the way you think it does. Did you see what he said at the end? He says, this comes with disorder and every evil practice. Now, there is a hustle culture guru out there. He, he's basically a household name. Many people in this room would know this guy's name. And he is the epitome of an icon in our country. He is living the American dream. He has built a massive business, huge platform. He is famous. He's checked all the boxes of the good life. And I listened to a podcast of this guy some months ago. And about halfway in the podcast, I got surprised. Because he got asked, hey, what kind of parenting advice do you have? He's got a couple kids. They're like, so how do, you, how do you do that? We always talk about business. How do you do your parenting thing? And this guy says, well, honestly, I don't really think about it that much. He's like, we're in, we're in a hustle season. We're grinding. I've got the businesses. He's like, they've got iPads. I'm like, oh, dear Lord. <laughs> and he's like, honestly, I don't give much thought. Well, again, I don't want to psychoanalyze this guy. I don't know him. But a few months later, he ended up posting a picture on his Instagram of himself with another woman a much younger woman who was not his wife. And then some weeks started unfolding and then the news finally broke that there was actually some chaos going on in his family and a messy separation, which then became an extremely expensive divorce. And here's what is fascinating to me about this guy. He has grown a massive business. 
He has a global platform. Every single person on planet Earth wants to talk to this guy, except his wife and kids. You see, James says, you start getting this envy thing in your heart. You're measuring your life against other people. You start getting this ambition thing that just comes about you and you're trying to grow your life and get, get what you want. He says, when that starts getting your heart, your life will start to fall out of order. It, there will be a misalignment that will start to happen and impact everything else. It will become a cancer that will spread throughout your entire life. You can't contain it. And so... Here's the question for us to wrestle with today. Are you pursuing the good life in the wrong way? Are you using another person's life as a measuring stick for your own? Is your drive moving beyond a point of being productive? And is it actually doing damage to you and maybe other people around you? Are you trying to get something that God doesn't want for you? Are you trying to get something at the expense of something more important? See, this is what James is saying. Striving for the right things in the wrong way does not work. And it's going to leave you further away from the thing you're trying to get. And you will not get the good life. It's the wrong way. So now James is going to flip this thing. He's like, okay, if that's the path we don't want to go, what's the right way then? How, how, do, how, do we, how do we get the good life in the right way? Look what he says in verse 17. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure. Then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. So wait, hold up. What does the good life look like? How do you even recognize it? It doesn't come with more money. It doesn't come with more fame. It doesn't change your position on the org chart. James is like, no. This fulfilling, satisfying, amazing life to the fullest good life, it has very specific qualities. He says the first one actually, before anything else, is this is a life that is pure. Now, I don't know if you've ever had this experience. I think everybody's had this too. Where you're eating dinner and you got the plate in front of you and you just notice something in the food. It's very subtle. And before you know it, you're pulling a nice long hair right out of that plate. Anybody have that experience before? Now, doesn't that just gross you out when that happens? Now, it's just one single hair, but you don't experience that dinner the same way. It, it kind of taints the whole rest of the meal. You'll eat, I'll still eat it, but I'm, still, I'm grossed out. <laughs> it's tainted. And, and, and when James talks about a pure life, he's saying you actually have a life that isn't tainted by some of the other stuff. Whether it comes to your motives, your desires, other behaviors, there's a real purity to it. Jesus himself said, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. See, when you start to remove the muck in your own life, it actually clears up your spiritual senses so you can experience more of God. And so, he says, that's the first thing you'll see in a real good life, a purity to it. But he also says, it'll be peace-loving. Now, this is living in a way that promotes wholeness and harmony. There's even a Hebrew word for it, shalom, which means bringing serenity everywhere. He says, you, you, you'll bring it into every single situation in your life. You'll be even considerate, James says. Now, someone who's considerate is someone who is 
not irritable. You give the benefit of the doubt when the situation allows. You have a gracious flexibility to the way you relate to people. You're considerate. Now, I love this one right here, submissive. Now, we hear that and we're like, oh, so you're the doormat. That's, you're the weak doormat, right? Just the subservient person. This is kind of cool what James is saying. What it means to be submissive is it means you are someone who is open to being persuaded and having your mind changed. You are able to engage in non-combative conversation with other people. Stop right there. What if we all just figured out how to do that one thing in our current political climate? Could you imagine a politician during a debate being like, you know what, explain your position to me. I'm going to listen and not interrupt you a single time. And I might even change my mind. Keep praying for that, okay? Don't, don't hold your breath. But James says, that will be a characteristic. Now, let's punch through the last few real quick. He says, you'll be full of mercy and good fruit. Now, we talk about grace a lot in the Bible. Grace is actually giving someone what they don't deserve. Good things. It's the grace of God. Mercy is interesting. Mercy is not giving someone what they do deserve. And so you are somebody who doesn't always demand payback and vengeance. You even absorb some of the blow sometimes. You don't always bring down the hammer. And then he gives us this image. Your life will be overflowing with this good fruit. Just think of like this giant fruit basket with all this fruit. He's like, that's what your life's going to be like. It's going to flow with these good things. And finally, he says, you'll be impartial. You will treat people with equal dignity and respect, regardless of their color, their, their net worth, what they drive, all of it. And finally, you'll be sincere. The literal definition of that word is not playing the part. You are not going to be someone who pretends to be something they're not. You will not be a hypocrite. Now, let's take a moment here. Why are these the qualities of the good life? Like, nobody would make this list if you asked them on the street, what's the good life? So why would James even give us this list? Well, track with his thinking here. The wisdom of the world says, you don't have enough. You're not enough, and God is not enough. And what God does is he takes the wisdom of the world and he flips it completely upside down. Because what God does is he comes into this world and he lives a radically countercultural life. Jesus lives as a poor, unknown, small-town, blue-collar carpenter. Not exactly the image of the good life you would imagine, right? That's not exactly killing it by any cultural standard. And then Jesus lives a sacrificial life of service, ultimately leading to a cross. Would anybody answer the good life being getting crucified on a cross? No, th this is a fail. This is not the good life. But in that moment, people didn't see it. Jesus was dying for the sins of the world. He was dying for your sin and mine. And in that moment, Jesus proved something. He is more than enough. He is everything you need. He is more than anything you could have ever expected. And so in Jesus, you have the ultimate good life. You have cleansing from your sin. You have a relationship with God. You have purpose for your life and hope for eternity. Does that sound like the good life to anybody? I feel like that sounds like a pretty good life to me. And so this is what James is trying to say. 
The good life is not some future point that you're trying to arrive to someday. The good life is a person. It's Jesus. He is the only one who can truly satisfy your soul. He is the only one who can give you what you really desire. He is the only one who can give you a full experience of what the good life really is. And so James is saying, when you step into that, when you really experience Jesus and the living God, the good life will start to pour out of you. And instead of just living a life of trying to get yours, trying to find some sense of security, trying to attain all those things on your bucket list, you live a life of just love and sacrifice for God and other people because you have everything you need. You got nothing to prove. God is more than enough. That's the good life. That's what you need. So, just to encourage you, this comes with some massive benefits. This is why you should want this. James is going to sell it now. In verse 18, he says, Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. Now, that feels kind of like a different thought. Like, but what are we talking Peacemakers, what? Well, James is making a connection. He says, if you live with the true wisdom of God that comes from heaven, heaven by definition, you're going to bring peace to this earth. You are going to bring harmony to every situation you step into. The relationships, the interactions, your entire life is going to bring order out of chaos in this world. Beauty out of the brokenness. And not only that, he says, you personally will experience a harvest in your life. Think about it. Little seeds you plant will blossom into so much more. And he says, it's going to be a harvest of righteousness. Now, I know what some of you guys are thinking. You're like, okay, that sounds like a Bible word. I, I don't know if I'm that excited about a harvest of righteousness, Brian, but you should be. Because when he says righteousness, James is talking about the good life. It is a life that truly pleases God, but this is a life that actually satisfies your soul. This is a life that actually gives you joy. This is the life of true purpose. This is a life that can even carry you into eternity. And I have good news for everybody here today. You don't need to be rich to live the good life. You don't need to be famous to live the good life. You don't need to be attractive, high on the org chart, or living in your dream house. You can have this. This is accessible to everybody. But if you do want the good life, you're going to have to do something. And it's going to feel very counterintuitive because conventional wisdom is going to be pushing up against you. It's going to be like cigarettes for your soul. But look what Paul says about getting this wisdom for the good life. First Corinthians three, he says, if you think you're wise by the world standards, you need to become a fool to be truly wise for the wisdom of this world is foolishness to God. You have to have a moment in your life where you reject the conventional wisdom of this world. Where you say, I'm done playing the comparison game. I'm done measuring my life against all these standards imposed on me. I'm done trying to strive to prove something or be something. I'm going to live in true wisdom. The ways of God. And Paul says, it's going to look like absolute foolishness to the rest of the world. 
people are gonna look at you and think you're actually wasting your life, that, that you're missing out on opportunities. But God says, you live into this wisdom, you are gonna be bringing heaven to earth through your life. And you're gonna experience something that most of the world completely misses. So with the few minutes I have left, I wanna take just a few moments to talk about getting the good life. How do you actually get this? How can you start to experience this? And can I just say this uh, by preface? What I'm about to say is going to be offensively simplistic. You're going to hear this and be like, Brian, we are adults, okay? How dare you even suggest that we're not doing these things? But I got a question. Are you actually doing these things? Because sometimes I don't think we need new information. We need much better implementation. So at the risk of offending some people thinking this is the most simplistic sermon ever, let me try and get us started on a path of wisdom so we can access the good life. The first thing you got to do is you must start with the source. Now look what Proverbs 1, 7 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Again, the world says God is not enough. He doesn't have what you need. But God says, you can't get the good life without me. He is necessary to the whole thing. You might make a lot of money. You might climb the ladder. But to get the truly good life, you have to go through God. It's necessary. And so when we talk about fearing the Lord, we're not talking about living in terror of God. This is a healthy, appropriate respect and reverence for who God is. It's having God in his rightful place in your life. So is God in the proper place in your life? Like, is he the most important thing? Is he your ultimate priority? Because if God is anything but first, your life is going to get disordered. It will not be in alignment. So you have to start with the foundation. It all starts with God, comes from him. But then the next thing you can start doing is seek it out. Proverbs 4, 7, the beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom. Though it costs all you have, get understanding. Proverbs 8, this is from the perspective of wisdom. I, wisdom, love those who love me. And those who seek me, find me. One more proverb. Again, coming from the perspective of wisdom. For those who find me, find life and receive favor from the Lord. Something you have to understand is wisdom does not just come with time. Just because you're old does not mean you're wise. It doesn't happen by osmosis. It is a disciplined effort that is required over time for you to start accumulating this. And so two even little things you can start doing to really seek it out. Again, this is going to sound simplistic, but are you doing it? First, search God's word. We just said God is the source of all wisdom. So you should probably see what he has to say then. The Bible is the primary source of heavenly wisdom in our lives. And if you can just make it a part of your daily practice, your daily diet of getting God's word in you, it will start to cleanse your soul of all the worldly wisdom. It'll cleanse you of all the conventional garbage. And you will align yourself with the very heart and wisdom of God. And I try to bring this up in as many sermons as I can. If you go to nhills.org resources, we have tons of things on there. But we have a whole section just for Bible study. Recommended study Bibles for you, reading plans you can do, and different resources to get on so you can make this a part of your habit. Are you doing it? The second thing though, seek godly counsel. Now there are people in your circle who know a lot more about a lot of things than you do. And it's so funny to me how much we don't like to ask for help. I, I don't know if this is a man thing. Can anybody else confess? 
I don't ask for help at the grocery store. Does anybody else have that problem? I will walk around for 45 minutes trying to find carrots. I will not ask. And Nicole gets on me. She's like, why don't you? That's why they're there. They get paid to it. I'm like, no, I will walk around in the wilderness for 40 years to find these carrots if I have to. It's weird. We don't like asking for help. And yet this is literally just something you have to do. So maybe you're in here. Maybe you're in the dating game right now. Maybe, maybe you're coming out of a divorce. You're single and you're trying to figure out, should I marry this person? How should I do it? How about you ask somebody who's been through that? Get some wisdom. How should you navigate it? What should you be looking for? Maybe you got kids. And you're trying to figure out how to raise these things. That is not the time to ask the double income, no kids couple, okay? I know they've got opinions on how to raise your kids. They're all judgy and everything. Wait till they get their own kids. But no, go find the people who got middle high school kids out of the house and they haven't killed them. Find those people and ask for help. Truly. You got, you got some money problems? That is not the time to ask the paycheck to paycheck friend, Right? Go find that guy who's got seven accountants, you know, working for his business. That's who you want for that moment. And this is why I think this is so important. You know, the church is supposed to be a beacon for sharing wisdom. This is supposed to be a wisdom sharing community. You're not supposed to just come here and and listen to me talk. We're supposed to be a family that helps each other grow. So this is why we do the men's ministry, the women's ministry, groups and studies. So you can come in, sit at a table with somebody and be like, hey, what'd you do about that thing with your seven-year-old when you had him, you know? Hey, I'm trying to figure out this thing on my taxes. Like, do you know anybody that I can talk to? And before you know it, there's just this wisdom that starts to spread all throughout the community. And it helps everybody get on a path to this good life together. Do not try to navigate your life solo. There are so many people that paid the dumb tax for you. You do not have to pay it. And they can help you get on a path. So seek out some godly counsel. And the last thing I'll say here, ask God. James 1.5, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to you. Now, I understand that sometimes we don't get the answers we're looking for. We have prayed before. I get it. I know this is a journey sometimes, but I have to press on this a little bit. Is it possible that the reason you haven't gotten the insight you're looking for, the direction you're trying to get, that clarity, that you're desperately seeking. Is it possible that you haven't gotten it because you haven't just gone to the source? You haven't just asked God directly. And I'm not saying that maybe you just do a passing ask. Have you really asked God, help me with this, Lord? I need your, I need your wisdom. I need your insight. We are so good at jumping on Google and WebMD and fretting and calling all our our moms and and in-laws and and people. But have you just gone directly to God and given him an opportunity to speak into your life and your situation? I just want everybody to understand this. There is a heavenly wisdom that God wants to give you. This wisdom is, is the only ticket to the good life. It's the only way to truly access what your soul is really looking for. This is the only kind of life that will really satisfy. This is the only kind of life that will truly matter. This is the only life that will last into eternity. And so I'm going to leave you with a parting challenge. Are you willing to look like a fool to the rest of the world to live the life that God made you for? Will you all pray with me? Father, I just want to thank you right now 
that you have a way of life for us. You have a good life. You made us for it. You want us to live it, Lord. We know that's your heart, the good life for all your people. And I thank you, God, that you just, you want to pour it out on us. And I want, I want to ask right now, Lord, just for a cleansing moment, even in our church, there is so much conventional wisdom in our culture. So many opinions, so many things people say you need to be happy to have the good life. Will you cleanse our hearts and minds right now, Lord? Just any desires that have gotten out of whack, any ambition that's gotten a little twisted in our heart, any lie that we're believing that once I reach that point, then it's going to be the good life. Lord, I pray for a fresh reminder for everybody in here that the good life is a person. It's Jesus. And Jesus, I invite you to this place right now. Will you even just start working in hearts? Just start even people experiencing your presence right now. God, we want the good life because we know it's what will most glorify you. It's what will most satisfy us. And I pray, Lord, that we as a church would be a witness of heaven, a glimpse of the very kingdom of God in the way we live, that people would see the beauty of who you are through our lives, that we would bring the very peace of God into every situation that people truly would see. That is what the good life looks like. And that is what I want to, Lord. Let us be those kinds of people. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Everybody said, amen. Thanks for tuning in to this week's message. If you would like to learn more about Northern Hills, you can go to nhills.org. You can also follow us online on Facebook, YouTube, or Instagram for more updates and events. We look forward to seeing you next week.